Where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Welcome, Duck fans. Where and whenever you're watching or listening, this is the Once a Duck podcast where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never before heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. I'm your host, Nick Cody, former Oregon offensive lineman. With me, as always, my trusty co host, Samuel Tudorschmidt. Um, Sam, we're coming off a, a Georgia loss. I don't think either of us predicted. I definitely didn't have us uh, losing in my official prediction last week, but. Uh, you had us losing, but it was nothing like we expected. Uh, how are you handling it? Well, Nick, I think that we can pretty honestly say this is going to be an episode where uh, the entire spectrum of the emotional gambit is going to be experienced. I think there will be some laughing, maybe some crying, a lot of heartbreak, some optimism, but generally just a whole lot of feelings involved with this episode. Yeah, well, get them out. I know this uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, which I hope our audience was able to find some enjoyment out of. Uh, it was it was really difficult uh, at times to uh, not think back to just the kind of ass kicking we had. But hopefully uh, some of our show today we'll get to will uh, take your mind off that a little bit, uh, get you prepped for Eastern Washington. First, we got to get it out of the way. But we do have a very special guest this episode. Stick around for Josh Kadu. If you don't want to continue to linger over uh, the Georgia game, don't you worry, though. We're going to bring you a lightning round that's all about everything great about college football this weekend that wasn't the Oregon Ducks. Folks, I am excited for this lightning round. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make things feel better. I think we should get it out of the way, get to, get to some positivity about the first full weekend of college football before we really dive into the depths of what was that Oregon-Georgia game. Yeah, and if you haven't been around for one of our lightning rounds before, we're going to put two minutes on the clock. Each of us is going to try and get off a, a quick thought about college football. Usually they, they don't end up actually being so quick, but we're going to try, do our best, and uh, I'll let Sam know when we're done, but he can start it off in three two and one you know besides the Oregon and Georgia game across the board most of the games that were nationally televised or brought to us were fun and competitive games even going back to week zero Nebraska Northwestern was a lot of fun there were so many interesting intriguing and fun ball games this weekend that if you didn't look at the one that happened to be at 12 30 on ABC you saw a lot of competitive football fun and competitive uh sorry I saw Miami I saw USC and uh i saw baylor 69 nice. who are those three opponents uh well you know rice used to you know rice used to to scare some someone i okay you're right but again it wasn't all competitive wasn't all but you know what i had a, a lot of fun viewing it one thing though that uh one game that really i found a lot of uh a lot of fun in several actually i found the Florida-Utah game to be so exciting, despite the result for the Pac-12. I found that FSU-LSU game just to be unbelievably exciting. So much fun in that one. And 
Honestly, Notre Dame, Ohio State, despite the fact that Ohio State's offense did struggle compared to what we might have expected from it, the defense was so much fun to watch, and that was a really thrilling game. Yeah, well, uh, while not quite a thrilling game, what was exciting to see is just how many people have better things to do in L.A. than go to the Rose Bowl. That was very interesting to see. They said 22,000. There's no way there was 22,000 in that building. There's must no have, way. Must have been out on the golf course. It, it had to have been. It had to have been 20,000 people that like Googled the website to even look at tickets. That had to have been what it was. Because I guarantee you four-fifths of even that 22,000 went, this is, is not remotely worth it for what today's going to be. Yeah, definitely. So uh, round it out, we got 15 seconds left. So I'll let you finish it off with your thoughts on Notre Dame, Ohio State. Notre Dame, Ohio State, again, would love to have seen more from that Ohio State offense, especially with a quarterback like CJ Stroud and the receivers that they have. But Notre Dame, we know what they can do defensively. They made their defensive coordinator, their head coach. Excited to see where that program does the rest of the year. Mm, pretty good. Kept, kept it pretty close to two minutes there. And uh, also yeah. for, for I will I will add one more on here just for the heck of it. One more fun thing. If you're a Pac-12 after dark fan, and who really isn't at this point, can we just give Boise State the nod? Because if you're going to be a part of nine turnovers in 25 minutes, that's Pac-12 worthy. Yeah, see, I I, I didn't want to talk too much Pac-12 because uh, where we needed to represent, uh, we were kind of disappointed. And then, uh, yeah, Nadia, it's really hard to accept that Oregon State and University of Washington both have scored not just a touchdown, but multiple touchdowns. And the Ducks have yet to do so this season. So with that, that's what we call a transition in this business. We're going to talk about that Georgia loss. We're going to get it out of the way. I know, Sam, uh, <laughs> you, you were really uh, excited to speak with passion uh, and, and get this episode on as, as soon as possible so you could get it all out. So let, let, let's hear it. What, what do you think first and foremost about what stuck out, stuck out at least to me, the defense uh, seems like all day they had us completely figured out. Um, I, I don't think motivation was a factor, but it was really tough seeing how many times we were caught out of position and, you know, quite frankly, put on skates. You know what, Nick? This has been coming, hasn't it? This has been coming, hasn't it? There needed to be the moment where Oregon came back down to earth. It had to happen. There had to be the moment where this entire fan base that now has an expectation of New Year's Six Bowls and near undefeated records can finally snap out of it a little bit. Pay attention to what you are. Really, really take a look. Kirby Smart after the game said something that is absolutely correct. He looked dead down the barrel of the camera and said, Dan Lanning would never say it, but he knows our players are better. They are. When I made a 10-point prediction saying that Georgia would win last week, I knew Georgia's players were better. Did I know they were 46 points better? No. But it turns out they kind of might be. And I would love to sit here and say, oh, they might be better, but they're not that much better. I'm not one for blind faith, Nick. I'm not. I'm one for believing what I see. And what I saw is that Oregon was 46 points worse than the defending national champions. Now, I will sit here and I agree. That is probably the best team any Oregon squad has ever played. It is probably the most complete team in terms of staff, 
talent, experience, and ability that any Oregon squad would have to play. And I'm confident saying that that Washington team that scored touchdown and that Oregon State team that scored touchdowns in this past weekend would really struggle to do such against Georgia. But that being said, at some level, you do have to look at yourself in the mirror. You do have to say, well, we do have some talent. We do have some ability. We shouldn't be losing by 46 points. That shouldn't be what's occurring. Nick, I almost feel pretty confident because when I sat on here, I said, Oregon will score 17 points. And you know what? If it weren't for a drop pass by a running back on a very promising first drive and a fourth down failure that included a drop by a tight end in the fourth quarter, Oregon would have had those 17 points. This offense right now, that was about what I expected out of it. But as you mentioned, the defense or lack thereof, just let's just call it a D gate at this point because it's not keeping anything out. That thing is swinging wide the hell open. The first couple of drives of that ball game, the interior of that defense looked solid. The front, the defensive tackles, the middle linebackers, they seemed like they were doing their job. The edges were nowhere to be found on that defense. Nothing but matador defense across the entirety of the field. Nobody wanted to get involved with the tackle. I think maybe the only defensive back I saw even looking to be involved with the tackle the entire game was towards the bridges. And even most of those were from behind. Beyond that, you had people diving at tight ends feet. You had players trying to arm tackle running backs they had no shot at. It was an absolute disaster. Oregon faced a quarterback in Stenson Bennett who... So many Duck fans were saying, we're going to expose Stenson Bennett just because he won a national championship last year and threw all over Alabama. Oh, no, we're going to be able to deal with that. We're the team who can handle that. No, you're not. Shut up. Shut up and get out from behind your keyboard. Pay attention to what you're dealing with here. Stenson Bennett just threw for over 300 yards on your ass. 368 yards, two touchdowns, 25 of 31. And oh, by the way, how many of those completions came on third down and at least medium, if not long? A whole heck of a lot of them. You made a college quarterback, a really good college quarterback, prove to you that he's a great college quarterback and he did it on your ass so thoroughly that you can't sit here and argue right now. You can't. So all Oregon has to do at this point and all Oregon fans have to do at this point is take a look in that mirror and understand the expectation can't be that you're going to win. It's that you're going to compete. It's that you're going to fight as hard as you can. I'm so completely sick of of the, the attitude that has come out of just a monicum of success, an amount of success that a lot of other schools would be like, this is a stepping stone. So many people are willing to say, this is, this is, it's so great. They're going to be, it's competitive every year. If you thought this team was a playoff team a week ago, you were out of your mind. You were out of your mind. I'm so happy delusional Oregon Twitter was able to come back to earth a little bit and see the reality because I didn't see it myself. And I apologize. I apologize, Oregon Twitter. I also created too much credit, and now I'm really glad to see that now we can look at this with a real open slate and take a picture of it. Just like this week was horrible, if next week is amazing, you still shouldn't take too much from it. You're playing the defending national champ. You're playing an FCS school that didn't even make the FCS playoffs. Neither of these weeks is going to mean too much besides wake the hell up. Hopefully this weekend did that. Well, Sam, I would like to see, thank you for that first dose of medicine, but you sound like half of Twitter spaces right now, but uh, I appreciate it. Uh, keeping that thing level is true about the fan base, but you're never actually going to succeed in this task of trying to keep 
the enthusiasm of Duck fans from taking over their actual logistical thinking. And here's the deal. Look at how college football is currently won. Recruiting. Number one, first and foremost, recruiting. Oregon's gotten better, but they're not there. This shows you that. And the first place you need to look in the modern structure of college football, I believe, is it transfers. How many transfers does Georgia have? Uno. Oregon had like 20 plus, and we had to rely on a lot of those people to fill our 2D. Now, is that an excuse for going and performing the way they did and traveling into the home state of Georgia? Now, given they did lose their last game there, that's not their home stadium. That's an NFL stadium. But to go and play that poorly, the the only thing that forgives it, if this were an entire returning staff, if this were Coach Cristobal's staff with this result, heads would be rolling. The only thing that is excusable for this is that, number one, entirely new coaching staff, entire transition, and all those transfers. And number two, honestly, landing had been figured out, to be honest. Defensively, we were completely uh, not even aware of what Georgia was going to do. And they did a lot of new things that we hadn't seen last year. We, I think we keyed in way too much on the, the tight end and ended up not realizing what talent the quarterback actually had and just being crafty and getting out and, and moving with his feet. And uh, that, that's tough because that used to be kind of be Oregon's thing, you know. Uh, used to have a quarterback that used to really, really hurt you with his feet, which seems like Bo Nix can do. But – Potentially, this offense was moving the football, just wasn't able to punch it in. You have to find ways when you're in the red zone to secure the football and punch it in. And what frustrated me, I guess, most, uh, the one thing, and I I try to be positive because, you know, I've been there. I know how hard it is. But the thing that frustrated me most, I guess, was the distribution of carries, touches overall. It felt like we were trying still to practice. Uh, and trying to uh, establish what the rank was and that we hadn't figured it out yet. And that's concerning because it was, uh, it went against everything I thought I had seen in the scrimmage um, from what, you know, I, I thought rep distribution was um, different, but it, it you know, it, it was just very, very confusing. But when you're facing a defense like that, I guess you're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks, but uh, while we did move it, it was very, very frustrating to see that, you know, the guys I was hoping would uh, get a couple more touches didn't. Well, I, I, that said, I'm happy with uh, Ferguson's performance besides that last drop. I, I really liked before uh, Coda got hurt. I love to see him in action and, uh, and getting touches. But, man, the, the, the lack of uh, ball distribution to the skinnies and to, uh, to, to, to the backs was, was really frustrating. Um, yeah, I'll get to the offensive line because you know that you know I'm dying to talk about that. But uh, I, I do agree that we we do need to taper our expectations, and uh, if people haven't already, but it, it's not going to mean too much overall unless you use it as a learning experience. Now, guys could take this film and and really use it as motivation. I remember the Boise game in 2009 and how that kind of galvanized everybody on the team, but that's a lot different situation. Entirely new defense this year. We we had most of the coaching staff intact when Coach Kelly took over. So, I mean, very, very disappointing loss, but we will learn a lot this week in terms of just who's invested, who's going to step up. And, hey, even though it's a FCS opponent, 
you, you still got to go out there and perform. And if they don't, that's going to be a major, major problem going forward into this, this schedule, especially. Well, Nick, you know what? It's, uh, I, I came out fiery as I feel like was, was necessary for this one. There were pauses to take away, but I think that I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. One thing that I want to make very clear, this wasn't, I'm not going to sit here and say, if Oregon players perform, this outcome is different. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say this is 100% on them for not exceeding because that's wrong. This game, the Oregon's players were outplayed just like Oregon's coaches were outcoached aggressively. Stenson Bennett said it after the game. We knew everything they were planning to do on defense. The minute we saw the look, we were exactly sure how to beat it. It wasn't a question. They were well aware of how to beat it. And then on offense, also, a lot of mistakes made in that game, in the coaching game. For example, running back distribution something that you mentioned that is so real to look at Oregon fans. I think it was pretty clear watching that game who the two best performing running backs were. And they wore the numbers 21 and five. They both looked good. 33 yards on four carries for Sean dollars. He looked so shifty throughout that game, making Georgia players miss in places where I really didn't think they would. And then Byron Cardwell continuing to run. He had seven yards per carry. So many of those runs were really patient as well. Does he, he is just one of my favorite runners because he will just stand there and wait for the block to develop. And it is so beautiful to be able to see how he is able to move. But besides that, though, you have to realize that there were 15 other carries taken by running backs in this game. And that was divided between three different guys, seven for a true freshman who I understand it's late in the game, get the true freshman some rush against some a, a big opponent. That makes sense to a degree. But to have a transfer starting who just did not perform up to the standard that I think would have been expected for an Oregon running back during that game and have another transfer who played better but also struggled as well despite a, a solid singular rush, it, it, it was ex- – It looks like you hit the mute there, buddy. Definitely you, you did gotta right calm, there. You, you got to calm down, man. That grip it's, is getting it's, too it's, tired. It's, it's, a, it's an exciting time, Nick. But the, the, another, another aspect where I saw a coaching mistake made or even a decision mistake made, that first interception. We're going to get to Bo Nix. We're going to get to why I think he is far from the biggest issue we saw on Saturday. But that first interception, a 50-50 ball to seven McGee. A 50-50 ball to an undersized slot receiver in seven McGee. And listen, against Eastern Washington for sure, against a lot of teams, seven McGee is going to be faster to blaze past whoever. And if you just put that ball out there, he'll go get it. Against Georgia, though, against the Georgia Bulldogs, and against a team that, beyond just being talented, has players on every level of the defense that are absolutely going to be top first round NFL picks, including a freshman corner who made you look silly. It's you can't, if you're throwing that, tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, but if you're throwing that 50, 50 ball against that defense, don't you at least want it to be with the guy who could probably high point at the best. Doesn't help that McGee stumbled on the route, but that's another situation. Where I'm like, is this the call? down only seven points here early in this game. You're taking a shot when you could just keep running the ball and hitting these quick passes that have been working so far, maybe get it down into the end zone. Just on both sides of the ball, Oregon's coaching staff 
looked like a coaching staff in their first game playing against one of, if not the most well-oiled machines in college football. This was going to happen, and that's okay. Yeah, and and that's a great transition to what I want to talk about, which is the positives that we see in terms of especially offensive schemes. Now, Bo Nix did not take a sack. Now, that's not perfect pass protection. That's not the result of that. The end of the first half play, uh, you know, it really stands out to me as one where I'm sitting there as a former offensive lineman, like, come on, guys, you got to practice and end of end of uh, end of practice, end of game scenario, end of half scenario. You have to know with a, a rush for and, uh, you know, that drop coverage, that extra guys come in. And, you know, especially with as experienced as our left side was, uh, you could tell that the moment was a little bit too big. I don't know if they didn't hear the snap count or what, but th- that shouldn't happen. And if you could clean that up in the first week, great as long as it because that can hurt you later in the season in much more important games um in terms of run schemes man i was very very happy with what actually we were attempting to do i just wish we did it more uh the the lack of commitment to the run i know it's georgia uh but man that that was a little bit frustrating to see but from the very first play call of the game and honestly, the first series, I liked a lot of schematically what we were going to do, uh, setting up thinking that we're going to run in the interior and really getting it to the outside edge as much as we did really spread George out as much as we possibly could to avoid having to go head on with them and really you know push them out of the way. Because we saw when we attempted to do that, it was not necessarily successful unless we were able to establish double teams because a lot of one-on-one blocks on the inside were not going to be able to be established. So getting the ball to the perimeter was going to always be a key. And I honestly loved how much in terms of formation, we were able to throw them off balance, at least make them have trouble aligning. But you saw we had more trouble aligning to some of those four by ones than Georgia had lining up against it. Now that with time, should be able to be improved and will put a lot of defenses in a lot worse situations than we have in the past. Think about Utah later in the season. If we master a lot of these schemes, it's going to put us in a lot better offensive scenarios. Now the decision-making has to be better. Obviously when you sit there and you, you, you've already made the decision on where you're throwing the football. Oh man, that, that is trouble because the defenses fi- will figure it out before you do. So being able to look off safeties, being able to, uh, I guess, distribute and, and not lock on to single targets. And, you know, I, I really do enjoy uh, getting, uh, you know, the, the running back the ball in the passing game, but to rely on it so much, especially in key third down scenarios where it's not a screen, that is very dangerous football to be played unless you have guys that have a lot of familiarity with each other and with a transfer, that's just not there. I, 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 you're completely right about that. And, and I appreciate Nick that you're coming from a positive angle because there is, there are positives to take away from this, believe it or not. People may not think so, but there are positives. There is one group specifically, and I shall hit on this first linebacker stayed healthy. Yeah. Just based yeah. off last season alone, linebacker staying healthy. So it's, it's a big step in the right direction. Huge. Beyond that though, I thought Oregon's kicking game was actually pretty sound all game. Camden Lewis, one of one on field goals, hit a 35-yarder, drain, absolutely drained it. I, I would have loved to have seen to have seen him take a, a deep one at some point, especially when on one of those later fourth down attempts or on a, a end of half scenario. That, that, that end of half scenario, looking back, I wish we would have done it. Would have been would have been interesting at least. And then 
another place where I think Oregon deserves some credit, the punting game, Barry, the transfer from Temple, he looked really good. Several punts pinned inside the 15-yard line, had a lot of uh, that good back bounce on it, which I know didn't help necessarily in the one scenario where we saw it, but that's the kind of bounce you want on a ball that is going to land probably inside the 10 or inside the 5, get it away from the end zone. Um, the one negative I'll say about the kicking game is, is it might not have been ideal to have a quarterback punt before throwing a touchdown this season. Ooh, that's, uh, that's usually not what you want, but beyond that, I do think Oregon's Oregon's kicking unit, they impressed me. And that's usually been a group that for Oregon that made me nervous in years past seeing Camden look extremely confident out there and then seeing Barry come in and be able to really, really kick some punts. I mean, 122 yards on just three punts. That's pretty good work right there for him. A 46-yard long, all of them able to get back inside the 15. Really good work from them, and that was a unit that I wasn't sure what to expect, but got some good things out of. Yep. Well, I'm not all entirely positive, so I, I, will, I will talk about the, uh, the groups that I think you know we can definitely say had the most difficult game. Now, let's start first and foremost with uh, anybody trying to set the edge. That was uh, from corner to outside linebacker to defensive end. Uh, Georgia completely owned us in that space between the slot and the tackle, man. They were able to not just do it with uh, physical force, but with a lot of motion, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of just essential basic football and great, you know, great, obvious, uh, obvious, uh, just leadership by, by Bennett when things didn't go right, his ability to find something and make a play absolutely made it hard for those guys, but there is no excuse for some of the ways that we are giving up containment, giving up our pursuit angles and, and just turning and kind of rounding and bowing out instead of actually turning, opening the hips and chasing to make a, a, a real good tackle, which is, it's frustrating because you have to work on those fundamentals constantly to get better at them. And it's not going to change overnight. It's not something you can schematically do. Now, can you attribute some of this? Do you think maybe to travel, maybe to having to go into a completely different scenario that you won't ever have to face again, unless it's a major bowl game. Sure. But it really doesn't matter. You have to take pride in those fundamentals and, uh, Oh man, that, that is really, really tough to see as somebody that played offensive tackle too, and knows that the way you have to fight to keep that outside shoulder free as uh, you know, an outside defensive edge rusher. And on top of that, uh, you know, the inability to really get a pass rush. Um, I, I know the, the loss of cave on Thibodeau, uh, I guess we underestimated, but man, I really, I really believe from what we saw in the spring game, from what I had seen in practices that we had a couple guys ready to step up and uh, the performances from uh, Johnson and Swinson just weren't what I expected set so that right there was very disappointing and then I'll, I'll talk about it since people are probably waiting to hear about it what's my take on the quarterback situation because Oregon fans feel just uh, so I, I don't want to say the word entitled because it's a different it's a different type of uh, reaction I, I really believe everyone is is kind of falling into this uh, pro model where if the, the the starting quarterback isn't doing it that's the problem and uh, questioning coaches based off that which is the easy easy thing to do and man I, I just gotta tell you I don't think uh, and you know my opinion could be wrong I'm totally open to that but 
I don't think changing quarterbacks in that game is going to solve anything. And more so, I think if you have any possible belief that that quarterback might have a mishap, might have a moment that doesn't look good, you don't want that to be a not top 10 moment on sports center for that quarterback. I mean, Dilly said it before your best plays as a quarterback are the, the, you know, how much you minimize bad plays. That's really what it shows the signs of great quarterbacks. And we need more of that out of Bo Nix. But if you're going to put a guy in a situation against the former defending national champions and defense that has that many studs, that's, you know, even if it's their backups, that's not the situation to put the guy in. I believe, you know, unless he would already be the guy. So in terms of quarterbacks, I think, you know, Bo Nix is our guy and we need to stick by him and his fans. I mean, if there are moments of struggles against Easter Washington and we start hearing booze, it's going to tell you so much about where we are at as a fan base and the misperception of just what, what reality is, not just for Oregon, but just in college football. Nick, there were a lot of times last season where a lot of people were chanting the names of backups, needing, needing them, wanting to see them play a little bit, right? There were. And I'm starting to realize, and I feel, I feel dumb for not realizing this before, starting to realize maybe there was a reason that didn't happen. I think it was Jeff Schwartz after the game, a man who probably knows more about this sport than us or anybody listening, or probably 99.9% of people on this planet. Former guest. Former guest of the podcast, of course. Hopefully future guest as well. It, if you've got a guy who two and a half, three different coaching staffs have said, yeah, he's, he's not the guy we want in the game. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe it's because there are lots of pick sixes and interceptions in practice. Maybe it's because there isn't the type of development that you would be hoping for. Maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is completely favoritism, and these are just a bunch of trained professionals making millions of dollars who are realizing, you know what, let me go with what I want to do and who I want to see out there instead of who I think will win games and earn me bonuses. Yeah, you're right. They're definitely making that decision. Or is it possibly that you have a guy who has experience, has played SEC ball, and maybe you want to give him one more game or a few more games than just one against the defending national championship to see what he's got. Let's really get into this Bo Nix performance for a minute because I think it's worth breaking down. 21 of 37, not ideal. 173 yards, not ideal. No touchdowns, not ideal. Two interceptions, not ideal. But let's really break it in those interceptions for a minute. The first one, I already said it, half on him, ha half on the call, half on the route. I realize that's three halves. We're still making it work. If McGee doesn't fall down, maybe he's able to get in position. If you have a bigger receiver on that route, maybe they're able to high point that ball or able to get in front of the defender. And if you don't throw the long shot in that scenario, it's also not picked two. It's a, it's a point worth bringing up. Second interception, that, that, that's all Bo. That's all Bo. We saw Kenny Dillingham screaming at the top of his lungs on that replay, just going, Bo! Because that's exactly what that was. That was a classic Bonix interception. Halfway look at the screen, give it the give it the laziest eye you can, and then follow the receiver with your eyes until the ball ends up in the in the safety's hands. That that was 100 percent on bow. Beyond that, though, beyond that, one horrific play and a questionable one besides that, 
I didn't see a ton that I hated. The dude scrambled for first downs when he needed to. He had eight rushes for 37 yards. Great decision on that flea flicker too. Where, Terrific you know, decision which, on the flea which, flicker. Which I want to point out is it shows you he, that is like old Bo Nix throws the ball there decidedly so he is capable of you know moving past forcing it it's just those those slip up moments i think man and uh i think that this staff has seen that too they absolutely have and i think that you have a staff right now at least that's willing to say we'll take bo Nix, who has one or two mental lapses a game as opposed to a guy where we're curious if he can throw it to the right color jersey or not that's a question that's worth bringing up. Sometimes talent doesn't translate. Well, how many stars did Marcus Mariota have coming out of high school? Three. Three. That dude starting for the Atlanta Falcons this weekend has a Heisman in the HDC, second overall pick. You get what I'm saying. You understand where I'm coming from. I, I know better than anyone else, my friend, uh, you know, and we're going to have a, a very special guest on here very soon that I don't think a lot of people, you know, in the, the modern recruiting age would be as near as excited about, but he was a guy that came in instantly ready to play. And uh, I wasn't th that I ha didn't have not I, like, it wasn't just physical development. I had not seen the talent that I did in high school that I did when I just got to the Oregon. And that was a much different roster than we currently see now. So I, I can only imagine what it's like to go against that own defense and the different like levels of how college football has been structured now and the mega recruiting giants that have built in the SEC. You really see now how the Pac-12 has been losing, losing over the years due to not just attrition of coaching staffs and ADs, but just not being able to put out a product that generates the same amount of revenue that can sustain the building that these programs have done before NIL. And now NIL is going to widen that gap for a lot of programs. So being able to, um, you know, be competitive in these games as a Pac-12 is going to get much more difficult, especially once USC and UCLA leave. But in the, the same breath, I, I don't, want people to go and just automatically dismiss the rest of our quarterbacks butterfield or ty thompson is not ever panning out that's such a, a rush to reaction if you were to do that with my own career i got a, a kind of a lucky start due to injury in the 2009 ucla game which was atrocious and i ended up getting hurt in that game and ultimately we had to show for our offensive line around and i didn't get to start again until my junior year I wasn't ready to start again over other guys. And that just happens. And for a multitude of reasons, it's not always just talent. Sometimes it's your ability to be comfortable in the scheme and not have to think, be able to react. And that takes a while for some guys. And to be honest, at the quarterback position, I can't imagine how hard that is, how insanely difficult that is, because the only thing I can compare it to is playing center, because that's the only other guy that is guaranteed to touch football every single play. And he doesn't have to pass it. He doesn't have to hand it to anybody but that guy. So that's the only thing. And I couldn't play center, dude. I couldn't play it live. I practiced it. I was awful. Coaches saw I was awful. Once they see it once, they'll never forget something like that until you're able to go out there and consistently prove that you can fix that mistake. And, it, you know, we aren't able to watch practices. Well, most of us. But the ones that are, like, you see and coaches know. So, that's why Bo's out there. And you make, you make a great point about it's not that they'll never pan out. You have to realize you're dealing with a 
redshirt sophomore and a redshirt freshman <coughs> at that back of quarterback positions. It's a it's a it's a twenty year old and a nineteen year old. It is what it is. Bo Nix, a little older, a little more experienced. Those guys absolutely could pan out at some point. But the last thing I'll say on Bo and on his standing so far is that, look, if Bo looks like this against Georgia, that's how he left. That's Georgia. If Bo comes out next week against Eastern Washington and plays another 21 of 37, 173-yard game with a couple of interceptions, there'll be a real conversation about it. There'll be a much more of a conversation and much more of something to be dug into. But I doubt that'll happen, mostly because they're playing Eastern Washington. And as I've said over and over, and I'll say it again after our conversation with our guest here in a few minutes, it, the result of the next game also doesn't really matter as long as it's a win and it's a, it's a big win. If, it's, if it looks bad, you're right. Hit the, time to hit some buttons and figure some stuff out. But if Oregon comes out and is all of a sudden world beaters against Eastern Washington, it'll mean just as little as getting demolished by Georgia. It means that that BYU game is the game that'll tell us what's up, which is kind of what I expected to be the case for this Oregon team at this point. But Nick, one more thing that I felt was necessary to bring up in reaction to this game. Yeah. And that's to do with the coaching staff. And I think it's worth pointing out from the time of Rich Brooks, from the time of Len Casanova, even to now, how many complete and total regime changes have there been in Eugene? Am I crazy for saying this many? Uh, I think it's in, about this in, many. In, and in I think that they time. were both pretty recent. Yeah, it's uh, all, you know. All, all I, I can imagine is uh, when, when you're dealing with uh, – and excuse me, dude, I, I can't imagine uh, – I didn't expect to be choking worse than our team did on this Cherry Coke, but – I was going to say, you're <laughs> turning bulldog red. It, it's getting really bad. I'm, I'm, we're going to have to take a little break before we get our guest on because I, I got to regroup, regather myself. I, I'm in more tears than uh, I was on Saturday after that, but <laughs> I'm trying to gather it, get it together. But I, I really believe – you're right the the this week the result it, it it might not matter in terms of the scoreboard as much as i think people are hoping we can just forget everything with a big blowout but i just want to see the energy of the team how they respond being back in austin stadium if by the third quarter shout is playing and everyone is jumping up and down and we are excited to be back in austin stadium then everything is right that was playing the best team possible and we need to learn from it and see where we're at at the end of the season. But right now, yeah, we have a lot that we need to fix. And uh, there's a lot that there's a lot that needs to be fixed. Nick. But the point, the point I was trying to make was that even if you had your coaching switches, you had your Pilati step up, Chip Kelly step up, Mark Helper step up. Everybody in that staff was still professionals in training people, how to play Oregon football. Yeah. They were professionals in training players how to play a certain brand of ball in a certain way and what you re recognize now and i think it's going to be very similar to what was recognized back in 2017 when there was the first time in forever where there had been a full regime change even though you started off with different opponents and had different results yeah. it takes time to learn how to teach a certain level or a certain style or a certain type of football it yep. takes time. Your offensive coordinators, they need to learn how to be offensive coordinators. Your coach needs to learn how to be a coach and how to be a coach the way he wants to for his players at that school. This all takes time. Don't forget 
the last time Oregon had a regime change, they had what I would call a considerably easier schedule that year. And it was still a team that got their brakes blown off in the Vegas Bowl. Yeah. Is this yep. team more talented? Has it had better recruiting classes? Absolutely. But it's also t- facing a tougher schedule, tougher opponents, and coaches that have less experience being in the positions they're in. It's going to take time, dampen those expectations a little bit, and look for not necessarily, you're not saying ring me this year. That's not what you're looking for. You're saying, hey, are we doing things that lead to success in 23, in 24? Can we still mine success out of 22 and do what we can with it? Because you absolutely can. You absolutely can. But do not have the expectation that it's fixed and it's over and that always needed was a little plug and play and we're good to go. It's not the case. That's not how life works, let alone how football works. It'll take time. It'll take turnover. But Oregon has the opportunity this week, next week, and moving forward to make each and every week better than the one we just witnessed. And I have no doubt the coaching staff, the players, they all agree. The only goal moving forward is to be better than that. Yeah, and the only way to do that is to take ownership of what you did wrong and hearing in the in the post-game presser uh, how Lanning was able to address that as a first-time coach. Uh, you know, you can't take any moral victories away from something like this, but you can be proud of your head coach and the way they represent your program and something like that because there's a lot of coaches out there that would throw their team under the bus that would try to blame a lot of situations and being put in that most impossible situation and say, well, like, what did you expect to happen? We're come playing the defending national champion. Like Kirby said, better players. But as our coach, he didn't say that he put the onus on himself. And that's where it starts from the top down. And uh, a guy we're about to bring on is someone that took ownership right away of his own performance and honestly didn't give himself enough credit for any of that when he was there and probably still won't now because uh, Josh Kadu is one of the best outside linebackers Oregon has ever had and probably not given enough credit for it, but we're going to talk to him about that. With us now, our first guest of our season four. I'm so excited to finally talk to this guy, one of my favorite teammates from the 2008 class, out of Vacaville, California, outside linebacker Josh Kadu. Dooski, how have you, my friend? I've been good, man. Just out here working, uh, enjoying things. How about you? I'm doing great, man. You know, I, I started this podcast with thinking of our, our our class, especially how tight we were when we came in and how many great stories we have. And uh, I, I got to say what I have to go back and check the numbers, but you got to be at least the uh, probably the fifth person on that defense in from that class to be on the podcast. And I honestly wish we had you sooner, but the timing couldn't be better because we just faced a juggernaut in Georgia. And I can't wait to hear what your takeaway was from the game, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where it seemed like, man, we didn't have any answers all day for what Georgia was doing to us. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was definitely a tough first game. But um, I guess what I like to see at the end of the game was the guys were still with passion. So I feel like this won't, um, this won't weigh on them too heavily, you know. And um, I just feel like um, we were a little bit off balance for most of the game. You know, I think the credit to Georgia, I feel like they came with a great game plan and executed that very well. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were some bright spots in, those game, in that game, regardless of the outcome. Josh, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate you being willing to join us. 
you guys' team, especially back that 2011 season, you experienced something similar, a big neutral site game, a difficult outcome to start the season. But as a team, you guys were able to bounce back and were able to move forward throughout the year in a very productive way. How do you see, especially for a young team like this Oregon team is with the new coaching staff, how do you think they can refocus moving forward after this kind of a game? Um, kind of goes back to like a mantra we had back in the day, win the day. And it's just like, just take things a day at a time. You know, they went over the film. They probably seen where they aired. And, uh, you know, just go at it one day at a time, you know. And just, yeah, I think they'll be good to go, though. You know, I just feel like um, really on the defensive end, it was just more so just being off balance, not able to really settle into the game. And then offensively, I just feel like um, after those couple of turnovers, we're kind of playing from behind. So we kind of got away, got away from the running game. But I mean, there were some bright spots. The kids were, one, they were able to establish somewhat of a running game. So I feel like if we're not playing behind the eight ball, we'll be good to go in the game going forward. And um, Bo Nix, he was making some good throws out there. I just feel like a couple of times um, he, uh, I guess you could say he got a little greedy. And, um, but I mean, he, he definitely showed uh, that he has a making to be a good quarterback. I definitely agree with that. And going back to uh, talking about that, that Boise game, I, I did get some reminders of that. And, you know, that change in the coaching staff was not only a surprise for us back in the day when Coach Pilati stepped down, but especially, you know, with the way Mario left uh, and the turnover there, at least we had the continuity on the defensive end to keep us in that game at Boise. I can't imagine if we had an entirely new staff come in when we had that transition from 2008 to 2009. Uh, what do you remember about that time uh, when, you know, Coach Pilati stepped down? I know the defense, because we had Coach Aliotti, kept most of our coaching staff intact. I know we were good there, but but what do you remember from that transition and, and what do you think this team can learn from that? I think for us, because it was just kind of like one coach stepping away and then Coach Kelly stepping up, I think it was an easier transition for us compared to them having to take on a whole new staff. So I feel like for us, um, I don't know, it's hard because I've never been in a situation like that to where I had to, where you would have to acclimate to a whole new staff and like how they teach things. So I feel like there's probably gonna be more of a learning curve there. But um, for us, you know, I think it was a smooth transition with the, the way things happen. Josh, you spent a lot of time with some very successful teams down there in Eugene. In your time there, you had several, at the time, BCS Bowl appearances, a lot of Pac-12 championship looks. For a team like this current Oregon team, one that a lot of players have memory and have been a part of success like this, but now with a new staff and almost a new energy within the program, they're going to have to be able to recreate that. How would you say, especially for a, a team like Oregon in this modern day, how easy do you think it'll be for them to be able to reacclimate, or do you think it will have a legitimate learning curve to it? Um, I feel like in regards to the tradition, I mean, we have a rich tradition there, so I feel like that won't be hard to pull from. But in, in regard to the learning curve, that all depends on like the coaching staff, you know, and how well they're able to teach whatever they're trying to teach those kids, you know. So, I mean, I really can't speak to that. But I mean, in regard to the tradition, I mean, we have a rich tradition of winning at Oregon. So I feel like uh, when it comes to like gaining inspiration or seeing how it's done before, I feel like they have a lot of great examples to look at, look back on.
definitely agree with that. Now, going back to your journey to Eugene, uh, you know, it's a lot different. Recruiting these days overall is an entirely different animal. Uh, and, and I would say uh, people like us probably wouldn't have a chance at getting the attention of the Ducks now the same way we did. Uh, how did you find Eugene? How did Eugene find you? And uh, what what really made you come to love uh, the Oregon Ducks enough to commit and be a part of the program? Um. Honestly, I think um, I sent my film up to Oregon and uh, they were honest. They were actually my first Pac-12 or well, Pac-10 offer at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it was an interesting thing. Like uh, I got offered, um, I think around summertime of my junior year, coming into my senior year, I wasn't expecting it. Coach uh, Aliotti came out and oh my goodness, like, he just had great energy, you know, just meeting him, you know. I didn't know at the time, but I definitely vibed with him, you know. And then uh, coming into my senior year, I can't, I went on my visit, and it was after yeah, after the season. And um, I just, you know, felt like it was the right place. And when I was there, I committed. Josh, a lot of people know you as the defensive player that you were for so many years. But what a lot of people might not know is that you did actually in high school spend some time on the offensive side of the ball. I would love to hear a little bit about your experience there, but also that transition to becoming a, a defensive player all the time completely once you were in college. Oh, yeah, man. Offense was fun back in the day. Like when I initially started playing football, I really wanted to be a running back. You know, I'm over here trying to be on my AD hype. But um, I don't know. It was funny. Like when I was younger, too, like I told my dad the same thing. And he was like, uh, you're probably going to be playing defense, you know. But it's just like being young and then like not being able to see see exactly how things are going to pan out. And like like even though my dad, um, I um, how do I he actually came to America when my older sister was one. So he didn't have like a long history of watching football, but just from what he had known or what he had saw, he could tell like, you know, I was more suited to play defense. And then, um, dang, I kind of lost my train of thought. And then, wait, what was the question again? Uh, what was that uh, transition like once you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got you in my bag. All right. Let me get back on track. All right. So, yeah. So, it's like um, I got into high school. Um, I was still, like, focused on wanting to be a running back. And then uh, come, see, uh, I would say junior year, um, I actually, my best friend at the time, like, he had never played running back before. But when we got into high school, like, that was his first time playing. And he was just amazing. So, like, come fast forward to our junior year. And then, like, he was, like, the star running back. And it's like, uh we played the same position. So it was just like, I kind of just played defense. Cause like, they didn't need me on that side of the ball. And then like one thing led to another. And then like, I don't know, things just started kind of took off for me on the defensive side of the ball. And then my senior year, I played some offense here and there, but it's just like uh, the offense was tailored around him. So, you know, I was able to focus on defense and then just going to Oregon. I think it was like, uh, it was an easy transition. Cause I wasn't playing like, I play offense in uh, my senior, but not like, a ton of it but yeah so it was an easy transition when uh I went to college so and I enjoy just focusing on defense yeah one thing you touched on that I'd love to is uh is your dad recognizing that because I, I bet he knew he your ability to knock someone out uh what was it like what have you taken from your dad in terms of boxing could you could you talk a little bit more about that because I, I remember physically de like development wise 
you walked in that first summer and like just already looked ready to go on the field man we i already knew like of all the guys that guy's gonna at least get on special teams somewhere and you know it turns out you were one of the first guys to be able to play as a true freshman in our group um yeah i think uh for a lot of things i got from my dad was work ethic you know and he's just like he like made sure i knew like hey no matter what you do work hard you know and it's just like that's kind of what i just took with me everywhere i go so like coming to Oregon, it's like I had been working hard my senior year. Um, so like I was ready for the summer and um, I don't know, it's just like everything he taught me kind of just, uh, and like on top of what my dad taught me, taught me, it was just like the culture at my high school. It's like, it was built on working hard, we're a, a tough nosed team. And then it's just like kind of bringing that to Oregon. It was just like, that culture was already there. So for me, it was just like a, it was easy for me to fit in because it's like the what they had going on aligned with like who I was as a person. So it was great. Josh, once you get to Oregon, you are a part of the class that probably saw the most change in your time there. Went from a team that was fighting to make bowl games to all of a sudden a team that competed for a national championship, won a Rose Bowl, played some really fantastic football. Talk a little bit about the growth that you saw within the program at that time, just from showing up every single day, feeling the spotlight just get brighter and brighter as you played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like we definitely came in at the right time, but I feel like they had built something prior to that, you know, with Dennis Dixon and those guys. It's like they were close to like um, making a real run at things, but then Dennis got hurt, you know, so that kind of throughout the season. So I just feel like, that was kind of something I looked at when it came to recruiting. I was like, hey, this this team has something going on there. You know, it's like even though they lost their quarterback and like, you know, the season turned out how they how it did. It's like, you know, they had a good nucleus. So it's just like going there and being a part of the, um, I guess, the tradition that we built there. Um, it was really Coach Kelly. You know, it was just like the philosophy, the philosophy he brought in, bringing in the offense and then just like the focusing on being your best each and every day, like everybody kind of subscribed to that. And then like, nobody really knew if it was going to work. Like you even asked coach Kelly at the time, like after we um, beat Cal, that's um, this would have been the first year he was a head coach. It's like, 2009. Yeah. yeah, it's like, he didn't know if everything he was teaching us uh, was going to come or was going to reap any fruits, but it's just like, we all, believed bought in and then you know one thing led to another I gotta agree with you there I you know Sam it, it didn't feel like a, a ton of change for us especially because a lot of the position rooms remain the same but when we came in we had a culture that uh, a lot of us were drawn to already and uh, I remember two instances Josh that I, I know you'll recall uh, we used to be in the Barnhart parking lot, like running routes on the, like I would go up against guys in press coverage, not being able to do a damn thing. And still we'd be out there just, we would find little ways to compete with each other. Otherwise we were always really, really tight, always having fun. Play, but when it came to like video games or anything, FIFA, if things would get competitive or even one time we had an argument about like, just we're sitting around in the dorms. It must've been, uh, you know, like early on in fall camp when the, most of the team that isn't freshmen get to go back, go to their houses and stuff. And 
we're hanging out in the dorms and we just had this argument. It was the offensive guys and the defensive guys. And we were talking about, we already knew the team was that close. We were like, no, the offense is so good, man. No, but the defense. And we were just like, we just had this silly argument because we were just both so hyped for each side of the team because we saw how much talent was there and how competitive it was. Uh, how do you foster a culture like that when you're bringing in, uh, you know, so many transfers like you see now in college football? I think it's just bringing in a whole bunch of guys that are willing to compete, you know, because I feel like that's what we had to do day in and day out, you know, and it's just like if you get some guys that want to go out there and compete, it's like it's easier to foster that environment on top of the like what the coaches are teaching us. It's like it's like it really comes down to the type of players you're bringing in there, you know, and like our class was made up of a lot of go getters, guys that wanted to play and wanted to play well. So it's just like when it came to practices everybody was going their hardest because one they're one they're trying to get on the field and two they're trying to be the best player they could possibly be so it's just like you have that combination and it's just like I mean I feel like things usually take care of themselves you know and it's like we had a great coaching staff that um um how would you say they put together quality systems to where we could be successful and we took to it Josh, one of the last things I'll ask you about your time at Oregon, because it is uh, it is some time later and there have been some things within the program that are worth addressing now. But just going back and doing a little research before this, I, I asked myself, what would the, the University of Oregon Josh Cadu game have been? What would have been that game? And it's looking to me as if a 10 tackle, two sack performance at Colorado 2011, really jumping off the page to me. I was really curious if you remember anything at all from that road trip up to the Rocky Mountains. And if so, what kind of what kind of let you know that was going to be a big day? No, honestly, I couldn't tell you anything like let me know that it was going to be a big day. It was just like um, went out there, played the game, and uh, did well. But it was just like every game I went, went out there, it's like I wanted to perform well. And it's just like um, that game, things aligned to where the defensive calls we made, the offensive plays they ran, I was just in the right position at the right time. You know, but it was it was just a fun game, and I I enjoyed it. Yeah, you talked about how much the coaches put us in the right position to make plays. Uh, you know, that's so important. I, I don't think enough people understand that sometimes uh, schematically that, you know, it takes a while to adopt, like, that trust amongst the coaching staff. And we had guys that had been there 30 years, so their communication was instantaneous. Uh, I, I don't think enough credit is given to how much the the – staff was able to stick together under coach Kelly as well. Um, moving on uh, just one more uh, bit on your career. You got drafted by the dolphins. I still wish you were uh, red shirted and uh, able to hang around. A lot of people talk about LaMichael and if he were able to stay another year, but I'm always like, hold on. If we had Josh could man, Oh, that defense would have been something else. What was it like going to Miami? Uh, what was that experience like in the NFL for you? And, uh, you know, any stories that you have that really stand out uh, in your time there professionally? Um, yeah, I mean, going to Miami was amazing. You know, it's just like, I feel like I definitely <laughs> was, how would I say, a little immature at the time. But it's just like, uh, you, you know, you live in and you learn. But I mean, I feel like some of my best times there were being with the guys in the locker room. Like, uh, growing up, I was a USC fan. So 
and this was back when uh, the Pete Carroll days and like they had those amazing defenses, Keith Rivers, Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, guys like that. But then like, like my favorite player on those teams was Reggie Butch. So fast forward to Miami, my rookie year, and my locker is probably uh, – I'm probably four or five lockers away from Reggie Bush. So some of my best times were just being able to sit there and just listen to the stories he had to tell. And it was just like – it was amazing, you know, just um, what he went through at USC to some of the things he went through in the NFL and just, like, even being able to compete in some in practice. So, like um, – those are uh, some of my um, fondest memories and just more so like the bonds I was able to create with those guys out there. Josh, as well as Miami, you were also spent, able to spend some time up in uh, Minnesota with the Vikings. Is there anything that particularly stuck out about uh, that stint up north? Um, it, was, it was great to be coached by Mike Zimmer. Like that's a no-nonsense guy, but like, you know, he cares. And like to be able to see the type of defense he ran, it was um, – it was amazing. All right. So like this, this actually was the case. So like when I was in Miami, coach Coyle was a new defense coordinator with our new head coach, Coach Philbin. And like the defense they ran, we were running in Miami stemmed from the defense they were running in Cincinnati together. So like rewind, Mike Zimmer was a D coordinator in Cincinnati when coach Coyle was a D defensive backs coach there. So, like, Coach Cole was able to go on and become a deep corner for the Dolphins, and then Mike Zimmer ended up becoming the head coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So when I got to Minnesota, it's like everything that we're doing in Miami started to make sense, you know, because, like, obviously everybody's going to give you their own rendition of, like, you know, the same play, but it was just, like, it was nice to see it from Mike Zimmer's perspective. So it came kind of gave me more insight on what we were doing in Miami and it kind of like gave me like a master class in that defense. Speaking of master classes, uh, you, you ended up, uh, you know, you have to take one, I think, if you're going to go up to the Canadian Football League. And that's where you, you were able to uh, sign with the BC Lions in 2016. I, re I remember because BC was the one place I got to play a preseason game. And man, what a transition. It's fun to see guys like Boseco, Vernon Adams there for the BC Lions. But what was your experience there like? Oh man, BC. Uh, it was nice to get. Um, I guess to see what the culture was like up there. Like football is definitely different up there, but I mean, it's football, you know. But it's just like it, it's it's a different brand of football. I'll say that much, you know. But it's like I feel like what I enjoyed most up there was probably the culture, and then like the football was fun. But like at this time, like um. I was playing defensive end and it was cool, but I feel like at that time, it's just like, I lost the passion. You know, it's like, you feel like you're just chasing something just to chase it. And like, that's kind of where I was. I just felt like I was running in place, but I mean, it was dope to go up there and see what the culture was like and see what that type of football is. And um, just learn from those guys out there as well. Josh, in your time since football, I'm not sure how many Duck fans would, would have been able to keep up with exactly what you've had going on. If you had to give kind of uh, the Oregon faithful a little bit of a look into the life of Josh Cadu now, what is it that you have going on? What are you working on these days? Uh, I'm actually helping out coaching. So I've been enjoying that. Um, I volunteer at the local high school here. And then I'm just uh, working as a loan officer for Rocket Mortgage. And uh, that's okay, but it's just like a job that pays the bills. But uh uh, I'm really enjoying this coaching, you know, so it's just, it's nice to get out there and help these kids uh, 
learn from what I've uh, gone through and then uh, just uh, try to implement some things within them that can help them be successful, you know, because it's just like I've been there, done that. So it's just nice to share that knowledge. It's great to hear that the uh, the transition of that passion has gone to, to coaching and passing it on. But even more importantly, I just love how a coach could do sounds that that's awesome right there. I love that. <laughs> if coach could is there at Georgia at halftime talking to the defense, what's your halftime pep speech? Mm. My halftime pep speech. Or are you just uh, kicking over the Rice Krispies? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, never that. I don't ever be a coach that would want to blow up on the guys. But, you know, I would just say, you know, hang in there. It's like um, it was a tough first half, but um, we're going to make the adjustments we need to and just keep the faith. You know, go out there, keep playing hard. We're going to get things figured out. Josh, we appreciate you having spent time with us. I've only got one more for you, and then I'm sure Nick will end it with something great and let us go. The one that I've got for you, though, and it's a question that I kind of have to ask a, a lot of former Ducks, especially guys from your time. Nick knows exactly what I'm going to ask because it really is my favorite question on here. You were at Oregon for some phenomenal uniform years. Mm-hmm. Do you have one that particularly sticks out in your mind where you either saw it pregame or postgame and you said, wow, this, this looks really, really good today? Um, I would say my sophomore year when we played Cal, um, those uh, throwbacks. Uh, but yeah, those are definitely my favorite. Just that uh, that colorway. Yeah, so I would definitely go with those. Hey, more importantly for that game that that stands out. Why one of those is my favorite is uh, how extra guys got with the accessories. Uh, <laughs> I remember Tyler Briffitt going out there with like the full arm pad tape hey, job. Hey, Tyler, that's my guy. Uh, I mean, all right. I know, man. That 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 game, I that is a standout. We do not give that one enough credit, Josh. That's a good choice. Um, man, ah, so all the questions I could ask to finish out. But more importantly, I think that final season uh for you at Oregon, winning the Rose Bowl, what was it like to close out your Oregon career at that kind of a, a, a peak high for the program? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was great. You know, it felt almost bittersweet, though, you know, because it's just like I'm going off um, to do other things. But I kind of missed my I knew I was going to be missing you guys, you know, so it was great to end on a high note. But it was also a little bit sadly, my guys. So. But yeah, it worked out well. It worked out well. Yeah, don't lie. You just missed uh, busting by my ass in practice very, very easily every day. That's all. (laughs) Uh, Great conversation back there. Yeah, man. Thank you for saying that, but don't lie to the people. We try to keep it honest on this program. But uh, thank you for coming on, Josh. Uh, Really appreciate you, and uh, you really lighten the mood for uh, what has otherwise uh, been a a pretty heavy episode talking about the Ducks, but it's great great to look back in our time and uh you know remind us why once a duck always a duck yeah most definitely appreciate you having me oh man i i'm so glad that that is our first interview that's the way we're going to kick it off that's the way we are going to cleanse this loss from our system sam well you know nick um as much as i could sit here and, and talk about that loss for for days on end it is 
we should be moving on. And I think it was a really good way to, uh, to cleanse our palate a little bit, to talk to somebody as, uh, as interesting and as fun as Josh is. Somebody who's done as much for the uh, program without getting the credit for it that he deserves. By the way, if we're talking about not taking credit, Josh is going to sit over here and say, oh, I messed around, had a, did a little bit of offense back in the day or whatever. This man had 115 yards on like five catches his senior year. That's the dude's a beast, dude. And and yeah, on the Colorado question, man, he, he doesn't give himself. He maybe he just doesn't even know because while all the rest of us were out there just dying from the elevation, dude, he didn't even know. I think he was just playing football like normal, man. It was no problem for him. And that's the level of kind of conditioning uh, and just like the physique this guy always had. He, I don't think it mattered where he played. He was going to be a stud for Oregon. And we, we've got a lot of guys like that on this roster, man. But before we talk about wh where we're going to go from here in this season and our next opponent, Eastern Washington, we got to get into, uh, you know, our, our, our Twitter fan base, which has grown so much over the years. If you aren't already following and contributing, I recommend you do so at once a duck, but Sam, we got a bunch of great responses. Uh, we, you know, we put it out there for this, this episode that we wanted to hear people and what they had in terms of questions were really, really great. So I'm going to start off with one here from uh, Christy J, which is uh, why didn't they change it up or try another quarterback? Not trying to blame or anything. Just curious the thought as we did something similar last year. Well, Christy, I think um, we briefly mentioned it in the first half of the show, but I think we can mention it here. To answer the question, why didn't Oregon change it up or try another quarterback? I think that it's twofold. Number one, you have a transfer coming in, a new guy playing. You don't want to immediately show him that you have a lack of faith. You want it to say, hey, you're our guy, you're our leader. As Landing said, you are the leader of our offense, the leader of our team. You're going to be the one in this moment doing this. And I think that's how that should be. Number two, this is the second or third staff now that has looked at the backup quarterbacks on this Oregon roster and said, I would rather work with who we have right here. And I think that that says a lot. I think that it says a lot that multiple staffs now have been willing to look at a guy or look at a couple of guys and figure that somebody else is better for the job. So I think that for this Oregon team for right now, the best reason is to not switch things up is to try to build some consistency and also try to do what this coaching staff thinks will work best to win football games. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say and uh, kind of takes it from all angles without, um, you know, to be honest, you're, you're sitting there and it, like you said, these first two weeks don't mean a whole lot. But where we're at at the end of the season, it could be an entirely different scenario. So if there's time to make a change over the course of the season, it might happen. But right now especially when your quarterback is leading the team in carries, maybe potentially in a couple of weeks, somebody else is ready and steps in, in terms of a, a fill-in situation. I'm never going to say, you know, injuries are, are something that you, you should look forward to because that's a messed up thing that some fans out there rooting for that. But when you're taking that many carries, it's always a possibility in this team. I've said it from the beginning. If you're going to be running the quarterback, you have to consistently be thinking about that next man up and hopefully have the faith in him, but it doesn't mean you shake the faith of your first guy. I completely agree, Nick. And the next question, it comes from at MC Booble, one of our uh, most, one of our most reliable contributors always. And we really appreciate that. An OG. Absolutely. An OG from a player's perspective. What's the flight back home after a performance like that? Or what's the flight back home like after a performance like that? Man, I since I don't have the, the experience of anything like that loss, 
Um, the only thing I can do is kind of mesh some things together, combine, I guess, the Boise loss to open that season, and then the uh, neutral site game against LSU uh, in 2011 to open that season, um, which both games, I, I you know, the Boise game, I didn't get to actually get on the field, and I, I had very limited uh, time on the field against LSU, but it was th- there is an energy on the plane that you you have when you are a team that is confident that you're going to rebound, and it's dissatisfaction and it's a quiet dissatisfaction. It's very hard to stew in, and on top of that, how long that flight is. Oh my god. I can only imagine uh, my, my least favorite flights home were always, regardless of the outcome, the Arizona State games, because always a little bit rocky, late night getting out of there. Um, I guess the only positives you could take out of a flight that is this long is you gain the hours back. Problem is, is those are going to go into film, thinking about what happened, uh, evaluating how you prepare for the game, and that that starts on all levels, um, you know, and it starts from the head coach, the coaching staff, uh, training staff, everybody probably is thinking about what they could have done to make that experience better. And they have a lot more time to stew on it than I ever had for any away game. So I, I, I really empathize with this team and uh, I, I hope that the, that flight was, you know, the good thing is, is it doesn't seem like we had many injuries, which if you're flying back with an injury, that is one of the worst, worst things to have to deal with. And uh, I don't wish it on anyone ever. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> so before I depress myself, I wanted to get to this comment because it was incredible. I love the comparison. Uh, Jim Wilmoth, uh, Southwest Washington coach on Twitter, played with a hand tied behind our backs against Tyson. They had more talent at almost every position. We had only the very basics of a D system that our opponent knows better than we do. You don't tackle or execute well when you're thinking. Well, we will continue to see a struggle as we grow. Man, that hits almost everything you've been saying right on the head. So, hey, while you're going to go out there and bash Twitter, the coaches that are out on Twitter do know what this is like and how difficult this is going to be. And keep that in mind as, you know, not just Eastern Washington, but we're going to be talking about this a ton BYU week too. Exactly. And there's, there's a comment here that I think is, uh, is definitely another one that I want to get to from at Rabe and Ducks one, Mike Rabe, one of the, uh, one of the guys, another one of our OGs. Absolutely. Georgia is a beast. Only team hanging with them right now is Alabama. Let's not lose hope. Still everything to play for. And I think that's absolutely correct. I think that this Oregon team is in a position where they can do almost anything they want to right now. They still have so much left in front of them. Should it be the fans' expectation that that's what's going to happen? Absolutely not. But I think that it absolutely and totally could. Now, Nick, there is one more question here, and I think it takes us into our next conversation very, very well. So that's why I'll ask it to you. And this is from Mark J. Weber on Twitter. Mark asks, positives from game one. Room to grow. A little bit of an understatement, Mark, but I do agree. There is room to grow. And he asked the question, what would you like to see on Saturday? Man, well, uh, I, I think the bar, like I said, is if, if by the time Shout is playing, it feels like Autzen Stadium again, everything will be okay. That's what I want to see overall. But to get there, the individual things I want to see is we need to, you know, offensive line, clean up penalties, no more false starts. That's got to stop. 
otherwise be consistent in the run game, continue and get, get push, establish what we were trying to set up, uh, get one major back established in the run game. That's, uh, you know, it, it's not just for the, the back themselves, but the offensive line, how you're able to set up blocks and know that someone's going to have the patience and trust in you that you're going to execute a block. And in my case, often the running backs ability to know that you could fuck up a block at any given chance and know to stay as clear away from you as possible. That familiarity is important. It has to be developed. So uh, that's what I want to see on the offensive side of the ball and hopefully getting a little bit more consistent ball distribution with, you know, the, the minus and mistakes, which, I, I think, you know, against a team like Eastern Washington, you, if you have those mental errors and hand them the football, you're going to have problems because, you know, they have a quarterback that can hurt you and our defense needs to show improvement almost all across the board. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody there can find some area to improve. Well, you know, Nick, the last time that Oregon played their upcoming opponent in Eastern Washington, it was it was a very interesting game. A lot went on. Some people will point to Vernon Adams breaking a finger that definitely led to some difficulty throughout that 2015 season. But there's a point that I want to point to that I think you just made that I think is so worth noting. Oregon had a leading rusher in that game. Oregon in 2015 had a leading rusher. And tell me if this sounds right. It was an Oregon team that had a fair amount of turnover coming into a new season where a back who got action the year before was now seen as the star of the offense. And what happened? The Oregon coaching staff put him in the position to be the star of the offense. Mr. Royce Freeman, who you may or may not know is one of the best Pac-12 running backs of all time ever, really, if you look at the numbers. 21 carries, seven more than the next leading rusher, 180 yards, three touchdowns. 21 different times, and let's not forget, he was pulled halfway through the third quarter of this game. 21 times in those first three and a half quarters or however long, Royce Freeman was given the ball and given the, the chance to do whatever he wanted to. Am I saying there's somebody as talented as Royce Freeman on this roster? I don't, I don't know that. That would be a really, really big statement to make considering the records that Royce holds. But I think it was absolutely the right decision for that coaching staff to look at that moment, look at that game and say, this is our chance to establish our running back and make him not only feel, but make everybody see him as our lead back. I think that's super important. I think that's something that Oregon could do and probably should do in this upcoming game. But Nick, I'd like to ask you, who do you see that guy being? Man, I I would love to to know but uh i loved seeing dollars out there honestly to be on uh that that really impressed me but to be on it, it, it points irving impressed me i mean uh the the freshman that they played at the end that i think that's part of this coaching staff has an issue to deal with and when i think back i, I it's not any different than that 2015 season we had a very talented backfield coming out of you know the national championship season with marcus mariota uh it, it's just you have to commit and that especially for a young staff is probably very difficult to do when you see flashes from each guy in practice and you see them develop and you know a lot better than any fan does the health the current status the mindset of those players but uh you know maybe they had this vision of you know everybody's gonna go out get their touches and at least you know we'll we'll see something out there but that unfortunately that should be shaken out in practice in my opinion and uh 
if it's not already shaken out, you know, by the third quarter, like you said, of this Eastern Washington game, it's going to be very frustrating. And I think the fans are going to let people know. As they well should. I think Oregon, just as they probably should have gotten their ass kicked last week, they should do the ass kicking this week. They really, really should. And if they don't, there will be a problem. I think you're right that Oregon does have a super deep backfield right now and a lot of guys who are talented. But also, the staff needs to take a look at what they have and say, hey, look, we need to we need to really make a decision right here. And that is that we're going to go with two guys who have done things and will continue to do things. And the guys who honestly looked the best against Georgia, the guys who looked the best against Georgia were Cardwell and Dollars. Dollars looked shifty. He was able to make people miss. He had the most yards in that game. And a lot of it were situations where he was able to bounce outside or get through a gap that I didn't think he was really going to be able to squeeze through. How many times have we seen an Oregon running back do that? And it was fantastic. The thing I love about Cardwell, though, Cardwell is just seems like the most almost the most prototypical just workhorse college back I can think of. The dude is strong. The dude is big. He's got incredible patience waiting for blocks to set up. He's able to turn it up into high gear instantly when it opens up. All of that is available. There were so many situations in that Georgia game. We're watching and I went, that's a 20-yard That's a twenty yard run against a Pac-12 team. That's a 15-yard scramble there against Pac-12. That one's going to the house against Eastern Washington, hopefully. And those situations are ones that I think Cardwell will grow from. By far the best defense he has ever played, might ever have to play at this level of football. An incredibly dense group there. I would love to see these two guys get those kind of looks, create that thunder and lightning effect that works so well in backfields, being able to have that guy who is a workhorse and then have your quick guy who can make things happen. Do I like Whittington and Irving? Yes, I do. It's nice to have other backs who can do other things, and those are always great. Seems like they've both been pretty sufficient out of the backfield as well, catching the ball. Awesome. Oregon needs, though, to stick to something, stick to something that they know will work. Figure that out. And sure, Eastern Washington is the game to do that. Maybe this isn't the game where you give one person a third of the carries because you are figuring that out. But by BYU, definitely by Washington State, this has to be figured out. Yeah, well, especially with the schedule we have coming up even further beyond that. But it will shake out, my friend. Uh, you, you know that it has to because just otherwise it's going to be very, very difficult for uh, you know everyone to continue to get behind it. But I don't think we're going to see a repeat of anything like that again. I think we can we can hopefully wipe the slate clean. Uh, but this is a team that, you know, as I've said on other episodes, uh, you know, you don't learn how to win those road games instantaneously. You have to build up to those things. It took us a long time to build up to being able to win those big BCS bowl games. Uh, to, you know, the, the Fiesta Bowl win in 2012 would, would not have come without the experience previously of, you know, losing that 2009 Rose Bowl and losing the national championship game. It just doesn't happen that you come out there and are immediately able to go on the road in a, in a you know, a neutral situation where Oregon, you know, just being what it is uh, with demographics is not going to be able to travel like other teams, especially in the SEC. Uh, it's, the, it's just realistically, Oregon fans, we've said it, you got to taper your expectations, take everything into account that the, you know, this week, you know, last week, it's, it's all just trying to measure how much everybody is learning and the growth we're going to see week to week of this program now 
is uh, is going to be incredible. It's going to be it's going to be either you know it, really telling. It can go two ways. You know, it could get worse. Guys could lose confidence. Guys can lose the ability to have faith, and, and there could be attrition. There could be people that get put in different scenarios. And, and you know what? No matter what, the, it's going to I, I believe at least test the character of this team. And, and from what I know from what I've seen and from the people that we've had in, you know, previous years to look back on. I mean, there's no better situation to go back and look back than that Boise state game in 2009 that keeps coming up because, you know, you learn to, to pull together from moments like that and culminate your season in something that can make up for that, that can show that you made that ultimate growth. And I, I really wish that for this team. And that's not an expectation that anyone should have, but it should be something that is out there, a goal still in mind and to keep, you know, faith because ultimately this game, we'll forget about it. If at the end of the season, we're able to win a conference championship, it, it, it will instantly be like, okay, we, we learned from that. But if we continue to see things that, you know, show up on film is just not just being bad, but being flat out embarrassing, that, that's going to be, too much of a problem to withstand and uh especially with all the transition all around college football right now in terms of conference alignment well nick there's been a lot of conference alignment as you said but one thing that that hasn't realigned is the fact that uh eastern washington is still of the fcs variety they're an fcs school and one that oregon should be able to take care of business against this week that being said this eastern washington team isn't one that's going to completely roll over they never really have been you remember this this is the exact same team that came in and absolutely fought against Oregon tooth and nail until the fourth quarter when these two teams played back in 2015. A lot of the same culture has survived at this school and that they are one that regularly gives FBS teams a struggle. It's the team that beat UNLV last year. It's a team that knows how to face opponents, and they, they did that against their first one of the year this year. They played Tennessee State, an FCS opponent from the Ohio Valley Conference, won 36-29. to Star of the game, their quarterback, Talkington. Tell me if this makes sense to you, right? Quarterback, he can throw it all day, but also he can scramble and give you problems as well. Does that sound familiar? Oregon might have to contain again this week, it turns out. Yeah, you know, and that'll be one area I'm, I'm really most interested to see, especially, you know, in Autzen Stadium. Uh, you know, when you're out there on a pro field, big, big, big stage, uh, maybe that, you know, the defense doesn't always travel the way you'd like. Uh, that's where you see a lot of guys you know, breaking down, uh, missing tackles. Hopefully uh, the familiarity of Austin Stadium helps eliminate a lot of that because uh, as we've seen against uh, Eastern Washington before, we don't just have to be worried about quarterbacks. Uh, we've given up some big receiver days before too. Well, let's let's just take a moment and, and recognize that uh, one Cooper Cup, who if you didn't know, he did win the Triple Crown uh, as far as an NFL receiver is concerned last year. Most yards, most touchdowns, most catches, yeah? And his college coach? His college coach hit me with it. Junior Adams, our Junior current Adams, wide receiver. Coach up at Eastern Washington there. Played with Vernon Adams for several years there before he transferred to Oregon before that 2015 season. But this East, this current Eastern Washington team, they can they can give you some problems, man. First and foremost, you always got to appreciate a good quarterback name, Nick. I don't know about you. I appreciate a good quarterback name. And uh Gunnar Talkington is probably one of the one of the premier quarterback names I've seen in some time. 
it, it's it's it feels uh, a step above being one of those auto generated video game names. Like if they did those better, that would be one of the options. Gunnar Talkington, he's a great name, but also he had a great game last week. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions, 348 yards passing, 60 rushing as well. No touchdowns in that department, but he's fully capable. He's a senior, 5'10", 215 pounds, so maybe a little bit undersized, but he is absolutely able to make it work with his arms or his legs, and that's something that Oregon's going to have to be aware of coming up this weekend. Yeah, and we absolutely have to be aware of our absolutely count, again, going back into uh, – the future episodes, but Hey, I'm excited for it. I I'm just excited to, to, uh, I, I still have confidence and maybe I am the over-optimistic one, but I really think that with the things I saw and how we were able to move the football, we could have a, a really, really big, exciting game uh, that, that puts up not just great offensive numbers, but I want to see our guys put in great positions to be successful, like Josh Cadu said, especially on the defensive side of the football. It's so frustrating when you know the talent that we have at so many different positions out there and just not getting them the opportunity to make a big play, just being steps away from making a sack or getting a big interception. And hopefully those players are able to, uh, you know, be established against Eastern Washington. And then we could build our confidence from there to do it in conference and especially against BYU. Nick, ahead of this game, I do have a question I wanted to ask you, and it's it's one that I have an answer to, but I'll be very curious to hear your answer as well. Is there a specific group within this Oregon team who you expect or need to see improvement from in this next game? One specific positional group where you said what what happened was so atrocious, so specifically with your group, it has to be improved coming up this game. Long snapper? No. Uh I, across the board, I think, uh, God, it's hard to pick out one position and, uh, you know, it's unfair to pick out one position because it's always about how those positions work together. But I, I think I said it uh, earlier in, in the podcast for me, it, it's the guys that had to set the edge, um, you know, in terms of not, not in terms of any one position it, offensively and defensively, our consistency of establishing the edge was completely outmatched we had some moments in offense that felt schematically and in terms of you know I experience of the offensive line we were able to adjust and and make some plays but ultimately it, it's got to be better on the edge that's 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 where uh college football currently because of you know where the hash marks are in the field uh, how much you're trying to spread out these defenses that have this much talent that's where football ends up being played whether you intend to or not you're not just going to jam it right down the middle of uh, any decent college defense so uh, at the end of the day that's what I want to see on both sides of the football is setting the edge better being able to establish ourselves there because how many great running backs have we been able to see have great performances take over from those runs that bounce right outside the tackle and that's that's right where we need to win offensively and defensively and we have the talent to do it now it's about going out and executing no I, I agree with you and it's it's a lot of those guys who are having to set that edge that I think is the group I'm going to be watching most just Oregon's defensive backfield in general this was a group that we knew there was some turnover but we really did feel confident in especially in our last podcast we were talking about guys like Bennett Williams and Christian Gonzalez and Dave, and towards like bridges and these guys who were playing that say those corner and safety positions who we know how talented they are a lot of them just just struggled against georgia i know christian gonzalez is one specifically where i kept saying 
man, I know this. I know how talented this guy is. And he is just in these such difficult positions all game and not doing what he should be in those positions. It, there were so many guys across the board who had moments where I just went, man, I know they would like to have those back, whether it be Addison, whether it be Manning, whether it be ben Williams. This is a group that is very talented. I don't think anyone would say they aren't. They need to show that, though, moving forward. They need to have a big game against Eastern Washington. And more than that, they have to be prepared for a very talented team in BYU that loves to throw the ball that's going to be coming in a week after that. So if there isn't much improvement seen this week after that Georgia game, I will be very concerned about that BYU game later on. Well, I mean... Regardless, concerns should be the same. BYU is going to be a very, very good team coming in with a lot that to prove. But I, I really do believe that what we saw will hopefully be an anomaly. At the end of the day, only time will tell. I, I'm here now confident that in what I've seen in terms of talent, that with our, our remaining schedule being as difficult as it is, we could still win the conference championship, but we also have a, we, as we've seen, the floor is a lot lower than I think most Ducks fans thought. It is. We, we sat it, we sat here last week and spoke on, on the podcast. We said, Hey, this team, eight, this team could win 10 games, 11 games. They could also lose four or five games that could completely happen as well. It's all within the realm of possibility. And remembering that is key. Remembering that it's all within the realm of possibility is extremely important. It's it, you shouldn't have an expectation. It's impossible for Oregon to lose three games. That could, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed eventually. It'll happen. Understand that it is a possibility, but also understand there's room to grow. And I have no doubt this Oregon team will do that before the season comes to an end, probably even before this Eastern Washington game this weekend. I am curious to hear what you think about this game and how it will end Nick, but I definitely feel better about this one than I did about the last one. Well, that's, uh, you should, but, um, you know, you think. Uh, um, well, let's just get down to it. Uh, prediction time, man. I, I honestly see us, uh, what, what I liked about our offense and our performances, our, our ability to line up in positions that put the defense in areas that they could be compromised. Now, Georgia, you're not going to get them to bite too much, but Eastern Washington, it'll be interesting to see, uh, what they're expecting and how we adjust because you know when you go in with an install week uh you know that first week is going to be a lot different than that second week you're usually going to show uh some entirely different looks off of what you've already given a team so it's going to be interesting to see how we build off of that and uh you know what what especially when we get to those four by ones i'm interested to see uh some of the run game get established out of there being able to get or you know that screen game to the backs i do enjoy a lot of that that kind of uh open, get it out there and make the defense run sideline to sideline because that opens up your run game in the inside so much more or just the ability for the quarterback to scramble and get a couple extra yards when you need them. Uh, I think this game is going to come down ultimately to which quarterback is going to make better decisions on the day. Uh, that's going to be the ultimate score. And I want to see the defense keep this team under 20 points, but I, I have to see it first. So I, I'm going to say that Eastern Washington probably scores at least 24 points and, and people might get a little bit frustrated with that. But I think Oregon's going to come out and have at least least 40 points. And I want to say 49 with this offense. I, I want it to be people getting back into a rhythm, maybe a little bit of a struggle early. 
And then, uh, you know, by the fourth quarter, by shout, I want to see, you know, maybe we get some backups, some run. And uh, it, that's how uh, the uh, Eastern Washington team gets up to uh, 24 points, ideally. But that that's going to be my prediction, 49-24 Oregon Ducks. I think this game is going to be a step in the right direction for the Oregon Ducks, but I think that there will still be some things that definitely need to get cleaned up. I feel like your point margin is very close to right, and I think you have hit exactly Eastern Washington's score on the head completely. My score for this game is going to be about 41-24, to 24, still not the separation that I think Oregon fans would like to see. Still not probably the separation I would like to see, but for a team, their second game under a new coaching staff, an offense that's still learning about itself fully. I think that running backs will have a bigger day. Bo Nix should be at least a little bit more comfortable, I would hope. I think the defense still has some very real issues that do need to be solved. It's more than just playing against a really good team. I think there are some legitimate things that are going to have to be worked on. And because of that, Eastern Washington will score three touchdowns and a field goal. But think Oregon's stronger, Oregon's better. The Ducks will win. As I said, final score, Oregon 41, Washington, Eastern Washington, excuse me, 24. Oh, man, I'm uh, I'm excited to see it. Uh, hopefully going to be a lot more uh, fun to watch in this last game, regardless of the outcome and how accurate our predictions are or inaccurate. But uh, as always, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Once a Duck or uh, at Samuel101TS or uh, at Nick R. Cody. Make sure you're tuning in because, uh, you know, you'll hear our takes most immediately on that platform. Uh, we're not uh, shy about letting people know how we feel. And uh, occasionally we throw up a poll and ask you guys for your opinion so you can get, can get mentioned on the show. Uh, I want to remind everybody for the BYU weekend that uh, if you enjoyed Josh could do our guest, he will be at the open mic. Uh, that we have established at Ranchito Grill after the game. Hope you guys come out to that and are able to contribute. And a uh, shout out to our VIP members uh, that are getting this episode a, a little bit early. And uh, thanks to you guys. If you want to subscribe to be a part of our VIP program, uh, just reach out in the DMs and uh, Venmo uh, your donation of $5 or more to uh, Once a Duck on uh, Cash App or Venmo. That helps us uh, be able to keep up the SoundCloud, which uh, we, we need to pay, huh? Yeah, yeah we do man. need to pay that, Nick. We, uh, we need to get on a couple of things, but that's going to be all right. Yeah, we're catching up here, and that's why this episode's a little bit uh, extra long. We've got a lot to air out, not only after that game, but after a long time off. long time, we haven't had great interviews. But, hey, this season, we're going to continue to bring them to you. It's not just going to be us all talking. We're going to have another great guest on hopefully next week, but more to come. And if you want to know first who's going to be on, uh, get your comments read first or get early previews of the episode, you want to be a part of that VIP program. So reach out in the DMs at Once a Duck. And Nick, just a little, a little reminder to anybody who stuck around this long. And thank you if you have. We really do appreciate it. Uh, I really do appreciate anyone who gets the last five minutes of this. Remember, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. In the, in the money talks world of college football, Oregon athletics, there will always be good things to come. It will be all right. Just because somebody's being mean on Twitter doesn't mean that they're not a fan of your team. Just because somebody picks somebody that's not your team doesn't mean they don't also root for your team. Just because somebody does think that Oregon should and does win every game doesn't mean that they're crazy. It's going to be all right. Get off your phone once in a while. Have some fun. Watch the game. Go Ducks. 
Amen. And, uh, you know, it, it's great whether you're a positive duck or a negative duck, just to keep that in mind, because, it, it, you know, we've got a lot going on and uh, Twitter sometimes yeah, it makes everything seem so small, but uh, you, you really got to think about everybody out there. Everybody's processing things differently. And uh, we're all going to take this loss and the next game and, uh, and we're going to move on because you know what? We're back home. It never rains in Austin Stadium. And once a duck, always a duck. Thank you guys for tuning in.